Live from the Pathway Studios in Johnston Proper, you are Live from the Path. To live from the path, coming from the Pathway Studios here in Johnston Prepper. Uh, here's the deal: this, this show is getting harder to put on, and it's getting harder to put on because uh, as I look at news stories of the day, I don't want to talk about any of them. They don't, uh, they don't pique your interest no, anymore. No, they're not. They don't. Uh, now, I mean, it's possible that we've done 500 shows or whatever, and like maybe we just touched on articles of a type already, but like. Uh, I, I was reading in so high level. We I pull a lot of stuff from the Christian Post because the Christian Post uh, has a, a decent variety of like outlandish things that might be interesting show fodder. But like, it's all like there's political stuff in there, and there's like, hey, this church leader is a problem, and the Christians are going to be persecuted about X Y Z, and an over enthusiastic article on. Um, either a, an actor who loves Jesus or some event that happened and now a bunch of people love Jesus. And uh, I, I don't know. It just it feels um, disassociated from my reality, I guess. Uh, yeah, so do you... Uh, well, yeah, what do you mean by disassociated, right? It's not the same experience you're having. Kind of a uh, manufactured uh, uh, yeah. crisis. Yeah, right. c- c- yeah, yeah, kind of. Like we're trying to like is, is the same thing that I think uh, uh, feel like a, a mainstream media is doing, trying to catch my eye and get me to read something. Like, is this just a Christian flavor of it? And and if so, I don't. Just like I don't want to be taken in by whatever uh, jigged up uh, stories that are showing up on uh, my Google News feed. I I don't know that I care to get it from the Christian Post either. Yeah, I suppose yeah. the the gripping uh, article that said Canadian pastor arrested at an airport warns Americans you're next could just as well have been crazy drunk downtown gets arrested says you're next yeah. and I go okay <laughs> I mean I guess we'll have to see how it happens <laughs> yeah yeah I mean this guy like as a matter of fact anybody who gets like something happens to them personally and then their reaction is to to say I'm just one of many they're coming after us like uh people who People who are humble and generally like fighting humbly for good things that Jesus wants don't tend to like conspiratorialize out and be like, um, like like you're you're next. Basically, like he's volunteered for martyrdom just by being arrested at the airport. And yeah. the thing is, if you're a Jesus person, you know that the people just aren't going to like you anyway. Uh, There's going to be a certain group. So it's like, well, is that shocking? I mean, yeah, I'm not right. expecting to be arrested, but if I am, it's like, yeah, I guess, you know, he said. I could see that, yeah. yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> who's <laughs> who's the happen? guy that that they came to arrest him, and he said, well, hang on just a minute, I need to have a prayer or whatever. Polycarp. Polycarp. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So well, he fixed dinner for him and yeah, stuff. Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> the Canadian <laughs> pastor who was arrested at the airport and warned, you're next, he's the opposite of Polycarp, right? Yeah. That man took his arrest fine, prayed for like a million people, fed the guards while he was there. And basically went to his death and said, "Yeah, okay, <laughs> away <laughs> with the atheists." <laughs> you know, like that guy. That guy totally nailed it. And here's the thing: is it's at least a little bit of dignity, right? Like it says, "This is what it's 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 everything that we've been talking about." We we probably brought up the the dudes in the lines den a couple times in the last couple of weeks, but like like even Polycarp, you know, goes, "Well, 
you know, it's going to be what's going to be. And we light them on fire, and nothing happens. They go, we got to stab this man. He's just, yeah, right. the fire ain't doing it. we got to do something <laughs> different. Right? But, like, you read the whole story, and it's like he, he followed Jesus with uh, dignity and with a, a faith that goes, whatever. I, you know, it is what it is. Like, take your arrest. I, if, if you're really being arrested, I didn't even read the stupid article. But, like, uh, obviously, I'm assuming what the article is saying is that he was arrested for being a Christian of some kind. Uh, well, yeah, kind of. He said, uh, the Canadian Border Service Agency arrested the pastor last week for two outstanding warrants, one for not wearing a face mask and another for holding a church service in June. He has an upcoming court hearing on October 13th where a judge will decide whether he'll be sentenced to 21 days in jail. Now, okay, so here's, here's the problem with, I have with this particular posturing is it's not exclusively Christian. You have a political problem. Hindus are being, like, if you hold a Hindu service in Canada during their lockdown restrictions, they also have a warrant. They're also not allowed to meet. And so, and that's true for everything. You can't have a bake sale. I don't know what the uh, equivalent of the Girl Scouts is in Canada, but you can't do that either. And so, like, I understand if you're irritated and you have a political problem because you think your government is overreaching, but, like, that's not Christian persecution. Everybody had this. You just think you're specifically targeted because God told you to meet all the time. But, like... Again, not even super unique. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. I mean, once again, is as much uh, criticism that that we tend to have for even the Jews in Jerusalem at the time that Jesus was alive. They weren't even this finicky. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like you're under a Roman dictatorship, you know, like oppression. They're like, yeah, it's just part of the deal. Uh, we're used to it by now, right? Like we've been taken over by like 17 nations in the last 300 years. Uh, we're ready. This is fine, right? It's just part of our deal. We find a way to continue to love and serve Yahweh under this oppression. But like our posturing, especially in the West and especially under COVID is, is you're oppressing me. Uh, that is the, that is the big deal, right? That is the shout. How dare you oppress me? Where, where like most of the, most of the, the, the Christian stories of oppression are like, yeah, yeah, we shine through. We just deal with it. It is okay. We will be oppressed. It's fine. You know, maybe maybe playing off the the, the Jewish example you gave. I mean, they they were hoping for the Messiah to come and he'll crush them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, but but until then, we're just gonna keep doing our thing, and the Messiah will come. And and well, why don't we have the same thing? Messiah's coming back, and he's gonna crush it all. Yeah. So, you know. Okay. So a few of us get lost in the middle. I mean. Mm. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's what's going to happen. This, this is why Jack Bauer works for a good uh, uh, type of, of person, right? Like, uh, here's the deal. If you don't want to wear a mask, okay. And if you're going to hold service illegally, okay. Take your 21 days in jail. Don't yeah. fight it. Yeah. Right? Like, uh, just say, yeah, okay. When they come to arrest you, don't make a scene. Just go, yeah, I knew what the law was. I didn't do it. And so I'll take my punishment. Right, that's yep. doing this correctly. Right, if you're gonna if you're gonna stand up and do something right, then 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 take the punishment for it. Yeah. Right, but to like be like, I don't deserve 21 days in jail. This is ridiculous. Blah, 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 blah. Right, you didn't do any of this right. You knew what the law was. This wasn't a surprise to you. Right, you did something that you should that that the law said you shouldn't have done. And if you believe in it, then do it and take your punishment. I think I, that's that's the right way to live. Yeah. Okay. All right. So anyway, like, I guess that's the thing is I, I read some of these stories and I'm like, I mean, okay, wait, like. This is not informing me of anything. It it, it feels um, like, like does it feel like a sideshow? I guess like we we spend our time getting irritated or or riled up because some guy got arrested at the airport for violating laws that were in place. Uh, I mean, okay, I expect that to happen. If they're unjust laws, there's ways to go about that. But like the fact that you were arrested, I mean, doesn't particularly surprise me. So uh, I, was, I was talking to a guy, 
and yep. uh, he was he's friends with a dude that was uh, did a lot of, of uh, work in China, right? With, and and hung out with a lot of the the churches there. And like uh, it's an underground church, you're not really supposed to be doing that, right? And so they had like this Chinese guy that was running the um, the, the main office. And, uh, of course, they had the whole place under surveillance, and, and, and this guy especially, right? And because he was of Chinese descent, so he's certainly uh, guilty of the thing he's doing. Yep. And every once in a while, like, uh, you know, they would just uh, take him, and he'd be gone for a couple of weeks, being interrogated and whatever. And he'd come back two weeks later, and they'd go, hey, man, how's everything? He goes, pretty good. And then he'd go back to work. <laughs> and then some months later, they'll arrest him again, and, and he's just gone. Just no, one, no word, no nothing, just gone for two weeks. And then he comes back and you go, hey man, what's everything okay? Yeah, everything's fine. Right? So this is a man that says, yeah, the, the suspected punishment of you running an underground church is ar- arrested and in trouble and like there's all kinds of consequences. And he goes, yeah, that's fine. I'll do that. Yeah. And, and like this dude pastor uh, <laughs> bucks the system, breaks some laws, gets arrested for it or threatened with arrest for it. And he's like, I'm being persecuted. Well, you, you're a lawbreaker, <laughs> right? Like, whether you agree with the law or not does not matter. That is, that is not the point. The point is, you knew the law existed, and you can fight it. There's all kinds of legal ways to fight it, right? But until it's fought and won, uh, and, you don't believe, and you don't think that you should have to adhere to it, I, I think that's fine. I like your attitude, frankly, sir. You see injustice or tyranny, and you're like, I'm going to stand up to it. But when you're caught, because you broke the law, take your punishment. Just go to jail like you're supposed to. You know what's interesting is that like uh, this t- this perspective tends to come from like like uh, hyper conservative folk who would make the very same case against um, like illegal border crossings. Like regardless of whether you feel like it's justified to do it, it's illegal, and so no, you can't just come in here to do that. And there are consequences if you do. And so like that guy may disagree with whatever the uh, COVID restrictions were in Alberta, Canada at the time that he did the violations, but they. They were in place, and he willfully did it, and he should just accept his consequences. Yeah, yeah. That's where that's where I lose all respect for stuff like this, right? Like, is it like I'm, I'm standing up? I'm going to be the example. The example goes to jail. I don't know if yep. you've seen Jesus or any of the <laughs> disciples or anybody that actually stood up for anything in history, right? Like, you do the thing, and then you don't complain about it when the consequences come down on you because that was part of the thing, right? That was part of the thing you set out to do is to say, I'm going to do the right thing regardless of the consequences, and then I'm going to take the consequences. Well, and I think that the, the imperative there is not because Jesus is saying, um, I want people to stamp on you. It's like your witness is magnified mm-hmm. doing so. Like, yeah. if you get arrested and you complain about it and you say, I'm not, I don't deserve this, like every other criminal said that. Yeah. You should just go, hey, I broke the law. I did it willfully. I wanted to. I'd hold that church service again. Now tell me where I stay. Yeah. <laughs> right? Which cell? <laughs> I can't believe I didn't use Paul for an example. Paul's classic for this. He did a lot of great work in jail. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, and he, nev- he never fought the arrest. Right? He never fought any of the consequences. He took every beating, <laughs> and he took every jail time, and he says, yeah, it'll be fine here. I got stuff to do while I'm here. Right? And so the biblical example, if we're looking for the closest thing that us as a human can get to, it's Paul. And you, sir, are not Paul. <laughs> no, that man is not Paul. All right, so I did find one article that I thought was all right. Uh, and it was 12 stumbling blocks to the gospel for this generation. Ooh. It's not clear to me. Uh, I think it's on millennials. And it's specifically around millennial leaders. So we'll see. We'll see. The, the question is, is, do these line up? Do we feel either are we seeing this? Uh, are I feeling it? And whatever. Okay. So, so that's like people in their 20s? Is that uh, it, it ex- I get all confused now. It extends pretty far, so I think technically okay. Mike and I might be like at the at the start of the cuff okay. of millennials. Hold on, let's see here. Generation 
I feel like I've looked this up before, haven't I? Seems like every five years they're coming up with a new thing now. And it's like, well, wait, wait a minute. Uh, generations are going quicker now. Okay, anyone born between 1981? Uh, okay, oh, come on. Where'd it go? We need a chart. 81 and 96 is a millennial. Okay, so that's oh. Mike and I. Yeah. Okay. okay. My kiddos are... Yeah, yeah, you'll be too. Yeah. Okay, so here we go. Uh, this is by uh, an op-ed contributor. He says, I preach in many different places and been involved in evangelism and overseeing a local church for almost four decades. I found that often it's not the gospel that turns people off, but it's the people carrying the gospel that turns them off. I mean, that's not a particular surprise. I think the church leadership should remove as many unnecessary stumbling blocks as possible so that as many as possible can be saved. The following 12 points are based on conversations I have had with millennial leaders as well as the average person on the street. Okay, things that block the gospel according to millennials from this guy's opinion. Number one, an overemphasis on money. I've been in some services where the offering took more than 30 minutes. I mean, that's just inefficient. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I've seen those, I've seen some like old school cats with the poles and the bags do it faster, like do it in like six. Yeah. I don't know what this 30 minutes is. Yeah, that's, that's going to hinder my gospel, too. Yeah, I, yeah, agreed. I'm out. Uh, I've also witnessed services in which it was common to collect three offerings or more. Really? Ooh. I've never heard of that. Have you heard of that, Dan? Uh, I suppose it's just like if there is like a special... Like a Lottie Moon offering thing, or something? Yeah, <laughs> building offering or uh, once a month they do a missions offering or something like that. But I, maybe, uh, I don't know. Okay. We don't even take an offering, so... Yeah, right. That's not a hindrance. Um, this gives new people the impression that the church leadership is more concerned with collecting money than preaching the gospel. I mean, I bet on balance he talks longer than it takes to do it. So you didn't say that. Yeah. But like, if you came in... if you're Here's the thing, if you're wary of it anyway, and like, it is awkward if someone's... Especially when it's taking, so if you're passing plates or whatever, and someone's here to hear the gospel, and it sounds like you're going to be judged for not putting money into the plate, and but like... Why would you give money? It's it's awkward. That's the thing is that like for for a church service, if it's internal church business, if people who love and follow Jesus, this is not odd at all. Hey, this is where we put the stuff. If it's not that, if you're expecting people to wander in off the street, that's a crazy odd thing to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To put a plate in front of them, it's like inviting someone to go to your grandma's house for Thanksgiving mm-hmm. and then saying you want to leave a tip for grandma. Yeah, like that's what it's like. And then asking them again, are you sure about that tip thing? Yeah. We really think you should tip grandma. Grandma's going to be a turkey was expensive. Yeah. yeah. You took three mints. You were supposed to take one mint. Um, now, here's the thing. Um, I think the church should, um, to the extent that it's using, I think it's always good to remind people how you're using money, how God's money is being put to work, um, especially when you're asking, uh, if you're asking for special uh, extras. Uh, and I think, I think you can share the gospel through that. Why, why, why do we collect this money? Well, why yeah. do we do the... Ministry with the homeless. Why do we go over to that apartment complex? Like, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. You should do that. Uh, and, and at the same time, there's a basic understanding. I mean, it's not a surprise to anyone that, any, I mean, if you go to Walmart, they want you to give them money because that's why that building is there. Yeah. They sell you widgets and then you give them money and then they keep the building and they buy more widgets. And, and no matter where you go, if you're in the Boy Scouts, it's going to cost money to have your son in the Boy Scouts or girl or whatever. Yep. Uh, at a church, it, takes, it just takes money. Someone's got to heat the thing. So, so people know it. I suppose that when they go overboard, though, that, that would definitely be a turnoff. Well, and I think, and I've been at places where this has happened, um, like you were visiting a church, and like, um, it's what feels like manipulation around money, yeah, I think yeah. is the thing. Or even guilt, and like, I don't, some people are just guilty because they don't give money, uh, and you tell them they should, and so they get mad at you and they feel guilty about that. Um, but like, I... Uh, I think I think having a good theology of money 
is helpful for this too. Like not just, hey, give money because God expects you to. Like that's actually a bad, that's bad theology. Yeah. I would say uh, you can't, money will rule you and you care about like making sure that the things of God are supported in your, in your community, in your particular context and your money is what does some of those things. And so, um, yeah, I would, I, would, I would say some of this goes away by like one, just make sure you're not being weird about it because you probably are. If you're doing three offerings, you're being weird. Yeah. Uh, if it's taking half an hour, I don't care how big your church is. You're being weird. Get some more volunteers or put it in a box. Um, it would help, too, maybe if you told, like, if you were, I mean, overly upfront on where some of this money going. Like, no one, no one in your church actually knows what one of them spotlights up on the rack cost. They're expensive. Yeah, They're more than you right. think. <laughs> yeah. Right? And so, the, like, the thing that they believe is, oh, this shouldn't actually be a big deal. You're like, those lights are $200 a piece? Yeah, man. And we use, like, 25 of them. So just know, like, we've been doing this well. We've been trying to steward the money well, buying a little at a time, whatever. But, like, just know that's where some of this is going. Like, they just have no idea what it costs. They don't yeah. have any idea what you spend on communion wafers in a week or right. what it costs to heat the place, you know? And, like, I mean, most places print it up or you can go look at it anytime you want to. But, I mean, it would be helpful to know, like, look, man, it's not all going to the pastor. I'm just telling you that, like, most of this is to keep the place heated, right? If I, if I, if I put the pastor's salary up on the screen, you'd be like, oh, that's less than I make. Right, like seriously, I, it depends on the size of the church. I, I suppose it depends on the size of the church, but yeah. most pastors I know they, they take a very reasonable salary. Yeah, I think on balance, a lot of times, it's like especially in smaller churches, like the the like salaries in general are a good amount of the money. Um, but like it's what you, I mean, duh. Right, we'd have to pay somebody to be available to do all the stuff that you guys ask. Not right. to mention, you got the guy wearing five hats. He's like the business manager, the counselor. The marriage guy, well, I, the janitor, I, the backup repair handyman. I mean, honestly. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing, though, is that, like, I, I, I think there's a, there's a prudence in making sure that someone's keeping an eye on money in general at your church. But, like, for the most part, I don't ever worry about where money's going. I'm giving it because, of, because uh, I, I'm, I should. Uh, I think it's good for me. It keeps me from uh, – it helps me support what's going on. Uh, it helps me support good things that God is doing. And so – Past that, like whether it goes to the, you know, it goes to a new furnace filter or whether it goes to the pastor or whether it yeah, pays for a light. I mean, the type I of manipulative thing a church would say is like, you just give. It, this, this is between you and God what's going on. You, the money needs to come from you. And they're like, it's just the kind of, I mean, it's not like untrue, but it's just the kind of something <laughs> a snaky dude would say. So you give money and tell them not to worry about the budget. We ah. have big plans. We need you to fund it. <laughs> well, actually, so I think that goes into number two. I think the only reason people were, would be suspicious would be uh, the opulent lifestyle of the leadership, which is number two. Mm -hmm. In many cases, the lavish lifestyle of the pastor and top leaders is a huge stumbling block for the gospel. I believe God wants his children blessed by the wise use of their finances and investments. Still, the pastor and leader should be, uh, model a lifestyle of simplicity and not extravagance, especially if they lead churches in poor communities. The apostle uh, Peter and Paul both stated that greed should not be a trait of church elders. Yeah, I mean, know your surroundings, right? Like, uh, obviously, if you're going to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's just that's pretty straightforward stuff. Well, I mean, I guess here would be the question. Is that, like, when people are giving... They're generally they're giving to some sort of connection to spreading the good news. The question is, is how tied to that is your ambulance? Yeah, <laughs> probably not. Um, number three, scandals in this day and age. Any fool can post something scandalous on social media about a church or leader that has no basis in truth. We cannot always avoid these things, which is why you should not be quick to believe what people post about others. However, when leaders don't have proper boundaries in their finances and personal life, they tend to cross the line in both. 
those are the ones that are ripe for a public scandal. From the huge televangelist scandals of the 80s to the present, scandals give the unbeliever another excuse not to repent and believe the gospel. Every leader should be careful what they text, email, post, and say in public and private. They should have a strong interior life in which they walk in fear of the Lord. This enables all of us to depart from evil. So number three is walk faithfully with the Lord. Yeah. Really. Yeah. And actually, I think, mm-hmm. I think to a certain extent, uh, maybe when you're in a leadership position or a pastor, like you, I, I think you have to humbly submit some of the rights that America has afforded you uh, in preparation for the gospel. Right? Like, let's say you feel really strong way, uh, strongly one way or another uh, politically, um, yeah, you might just watch it, right? Like, just just watch it. Like, people are looking at you, people are following you, and like, mostly they go to you for, um, what does God say? What, what's what? What should I be looking for? How can I seek God in this thing? And if they're so blinded by your freedom in America, which is to pipe off at the mouth and run your mouth on social media, uh, I, I just it's a it's a it's a rough line to walk, right? Like, you basically have to trade a little bit of your your individual freedoms that we give you. Because you're in a leadership position. Yeah. I think that's true. I think that's, well, and it goes to something we were talking just before the show started. I think if your role is peacemaker, and I think Christians in general should be, pastors most certainly, um, some of that um, means like you, you decrease. Because you're about making peace between two parties, not about you being at the front and center of the process. Right. You're, not, you're not Kofi and on here. And, that's, and, and that, you're not a mindless boob. That's not what we're saying, right? Like uh, some people be like, oh, you hey, you have to give up all the personal freedoms. Of, uh, you can be faceless, though. I get that's the point. It's you like can. Uh, you're not mindless, but I, I don't, I think you're all right to be faceless. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's probably not a bad thing to, 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 to strive for, right? Like, uh, like if, if, if Jesus must increase and you must decrease, I, I mean, that was kind of the thing that was set by what Jesus referred to as the greatest man born a woman. And so, like, is this a wrong thing to strive for? Probably not. Right. Um, number four was duplicitous behavior. These are stumbling blocks, uh, millennial stumbling blocks to the gospel. Duplicitous behavior. When children of believers or the unsaved witness ungodly behavior from their co-workers, employees, neighbors, and friends who claim to be Christians, it is a huge stumbling block to the gospel. I think this one is, is giant. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's giant. Uh, now, but here's the, here's the solve for this. Um, humility is the solve for this. I, you tell your kids, I'm trying to walk faithfully with Jesus. Mm-hmm. I know I'm doing it imperfectly. They can uh, smell that, though. I mean, if, if, you're, if you're faking it. Yeah. They can smell that. Well, and and you're right, and I think that's the key issue yeah. is is where where yours. And so where it says duplicitous behavior, let's go with hypocritical. Yeah. Um, do as I say, but not as I do, type of stuff. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, I agree. I think this one's. I think this one's huge. I, I doubt this one is is tied to millennials specifically. Right. I think, I think that's everybody. By that. Always. I, that's how the gospel spreads. Frankly, yeah, is when they look at your behavior and go, "That is not duplicitous." That is self-serving and Act- self-sacrificing. I'm sorry, that is self-sacrificing. <laughs> Actually, every, um, I, like, older folks that I've run into who've got problems with the church, it's always related to they saw a pastor and they didn't like what he what he was doing or yeah. their dad or grandpa was acting in such a way and uh, it turned them off from church and they just never went back. Uh, number five, religious titles. The right, the right Reverend Dan Hudson. Mm-hmm. Many millennials in certain communities are turned off by the excessive use of elaborate religious hierarchical titles. In some religious settings, everybody has a title like bishop, apostle, doctor, reverend, archbishop, and more. Our doctor is not a bestowed upon title. Dr. Martin Luther King. <laughs> well, I think he was, a, he was a legit doctor. Like in medical practices? No. No, but he had a doctorate. All right. Um, young, young people are special. I mean, I wouldn't, but I suppose it's how you introduce yourself. 
Uh, the message this morning will be given by Archbishop Doctor. Yeah, some people really Thompson. key off their titles. That yeah. turns me off for sure. Yeah, young people says young people are especially turned off by the need for this kind of identification for self validation. I, I would agree. I mean, to a certain extent. I mean, sometimes I, I you know, I want to know that I'm 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 being given the word by somebody who has put a little work into it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel goofy calling myself pastor. I think I'm just I'm just Dan. I'm just Dan. I'm just Dan. But I'll throw it out there because people, because they, they want to have, okay, uh, yeah, but, I mean, yeah, what, what do you got, what do you got, I mean. Well, some people, I think, I think um, it's, it's t- the term of respect to use it. Like, they want to show you some yeah. level of respect, and you're like, hey, just call me Dan. I, I don't think so. That makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I'll be <laughs> yeah, Pastor Dan. Um, so, wait, wait, like, really, like, you, if you, some guy gets up and goes, hey, I, I, I'm Pete Thompson, I want to give you a message, you feel better if he goes, I'm the Archbishop Peter Thompson? No, no, I probably don't. Actually. I'm flabbergasted at this, this, <laughs> I don't think I actually think that. Okay. <laughs> I, it just, it, I, I mean, I guess, I mean, I, I like, I listen to some theologians, you know, like, I, I appreciate if you've had a doctorate in your name, because I feel like you've put some work into it, and you're not just gassing. Yeah, I, I prefer that off of uh, probably biblical scholars that more so than I would of a pastor. But sometimes they talk in a real doctorate type way, and then I don't understand it either, and then that's not good. I tried to read a commentary this last week on Matthew, and boy, I, I don't, I've never been leveled to feel like such an idiot in the time that, like, I mean, they're like, there's five separate movements of the first two chapters or whatever. I'm like, what are you even talking about? <laughs> it, could be, it could be done like this, and if you compare it to the blah, blah, blah of the Turnam or something, I'm like, I don't know what you're saying. I can't read this anymore. <laughs> Just look for the under, underlined uh, passages, Mike. Wow. <laughs> um, actually, that's whenever I give a first pass at uh, reading a commentary about something I'm going to teach, like, the first is, like, is a skim and I'll underline things that I at least understand. And that way, when I go back, I don't waste my time rereading things, which I didn't get the first time. Yeah. They're like, if you're familiar with the works of Paulson, he did a paper on this in 1978. I'm like, I'm not familiar with the works. Yeah. That's why I'm reading your commentary. Yeah. <laughs> Stop it. Your job is to read Paulson. And just, <laughs> you read Paulson. Give me the balance. And, 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 <laughs> and regurgitate it to me in a way I can understand it. Um, okay, uh, six, religious language. People in this generation are not as religious as the previous generation and feel disconnected when a believer constantly uses religious vocabulary in everyday communication. We have to learn to communicate using the language of Babylon, in quotes, if we intend to make a strong connection with this generation. We have to teach believers how to think biblically but speak secularly if the gospel will make inroads in culture. I don't know, true? Yeah, it's like me reading a commentary, I understand. Yeah. Right? Like, I, I, I mean, oddly, I don't know why you have to say language of Babylon, that's weird. But uh, I assume that's a reference to a, a Bible verse somewhere? I don't think so. Okay. Well, I, I wouldn't use, if you're trying to not use religious language, I wouldn't use the phrase language of Babylon then because that doesn't, that doesn't make no sense to nobody who don't know the Bible. But overall, like, I, I, once again, I read a very well-meaning, probably well-written and scholarly fantastic commentary on Matthew. I didn't get a lick anything out of it. I mean, I had 45 minutes in this book. I have 45 pages in, and I'm like... I have no idea what's going on here. It's completely wasted on <laughs> Is me. that R.T. France? Whatever that, commentary? whatever that 15-pound book you gave me was. I love that commentary. Yeah, it's way over my head, Ben. <laughs> it's a good one, though. Yeah. Okay. I'm, so, But I, so I think the point, though, is, is that like oftentimes where people are put off, it's, it's, um, it's a religious blindness. Like you're using references nobody knows. So like this isn't even just religious in nature. I would say, look, if you're trying to communicate an idea to someone, you should probably use terms that they get. Yeah. You should probably use examples that they understand. And so, like, when we, when we say even, even things that seem innocuous, like, hey, we just want to love on people. 
uh, or or the, the spirit. Talk about the spirit. Like people don't understand what this is. Yeah, they don't get it. And so, I don't like, know how many people like that I've run across that don't understand. Like when they say uh, uh, the people of Israel, they don't have any idea what that means, right? Like to them, it's a ge- it's geographical. Yeah, right. right, that they're contained within a country. That's not how uh, any of the New Testament is, is talking about people of Israel. Right. I, I've taken. I think every time I say uh, like the nation of Israel, I think I've I've been following it up with the definition. Israel was a man. He had these children. Right. Th- th- this grew into a people, like type of stuff. So that like there's at least some context because like you're right. There's a lot that flows around on. on people's understanding of that correct yeah I, th- I think that's important because it's important to use biblical words if they're people who want to pursue bible knowledge yep because i think the church has gone the opposite direction extreme the other way and that people are growing up not even knowing the bible because they were afraid to say bible yes. terms uh but yeah i would i i try to stay away from theological terms that aren't in the bible but somebody made up and you know sounded impressive you know um you know, in the education circles, but uh, I'll use biblical terms, and if I remember to give some definition like that, that's 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 super. Because then it gives them some context, gives them some. I, people, I in general, people find that stuff really interesting. Yeah, right, right. Like I can't. The, the 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 highlight of youth group two years ago was when I said the Hebrew name for Jesus was Yehoshua, and they boy, they just thought this was the coolest thing ever. Like that, like they knew something. And they're like, that makes you know, way more sense. And they were super excited about it. And I thought, man, I mean, I didn't even know that before like a month ago. You know, <laughs> and, I, and I was excited about it too. And, but, but I would have been lost on me if you'd have just skipped it and been like, talk more. I, I don't know if I agree with this completely, right? Like, talk in a more Babylon or secular no. type way, right? Like, why don't you teach me how to, how to read my Bible well? Yes, right? educate Explain me, yeah. it to me in a Babylon way. Yeah. But like, lead me to... Still waters lead me to something better and something that will that will be helpful to me uh, as I grow. Yeah, right. If you're gonna say if you're gonna say Amen, here's what you're saying. Right. When they say Hallelujah, they've actually they're saying Praise Yahweh. That's what they're that's what they're saying. Now now do you ha- does that help you? And so like like not providing definition doesn't give people a chance to connect with it and actually feels like separates them from it because it seems like you have a special language, but you don't. You just need to know a definition of something. Yeah. So yeah, I would agree. Let, let, I think we would change this one to religious language isn't problematic as long as it's well defined. Because like most yeah. of it's interesting. Even, even the biblical stories, if, if you're too familiar with them, like like we've even today, yeah, we've talked about Daniel. You know, and people like if you don't know Daniel, you have no idea. But you have no context, right? Correct. I, I don't. I didn't know there was a lion's den. What does that even mean? You, yeah. you know. So we have to be careful, not assuming they know too much, but not keeping them dumb, so to speak, <laughs> not dumbing down your language so they don't learn. Right. So there's, yeah. a, there's a tricky balance in there. I th- yeah, I think on the whole, I, I think I don't agree with them there. I think I, if you teach people the language of the Bible that it is written in, right, like what things mean and how you can connect them, I think people find that fascinating. Mm-hmm. And it like illuminates uh, their own Bible reading when yeah, they read yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and, and actually, like if it feels like um, if it feels like it is being dumbed down for them, like they're getting a kid's version of something, like how could they approach this book and its author as uh, positions of substance? Yeah, something that actually makes a difference. We're like, asking you to change your entire life over the story of Barney, or you know, you're right? With the dinosaur or singing a song, it's like ah, right. Any more than that? You know? It's the it's the same reason that I'm always always hesitant to dump. Like I won't do won't dumb a story down for kids. Mm-hmm. Like we still teach Jonah chapter four. Yeah, Jonah whale. Oh, yeah, like they, they they repented, and then Jonah pounded. Like the kid needs to know that, and like the language that's undergirds some of these things. 
like you're right, you're preparing them for a genuine and deeper interaction with these stories that have been passed down to us. There's no reason to dumb them up, but they need help, and you should certainly help them. Um, but the, yeah, I wouldn't skip it, and I wouldn't try to tell it cooler than it is or different language than it is. Um, yeah, yeah, that's not helping anybody. I agree. Uh, number seven was religious images of power. Are these some of these things seem to re- related to like specific denominations? Like, because yeah. I've never had like uh, this one. Vestiges of authority and power in the church turn off many young people. They more easily relate d- to down to earth, transparent leadership. They are turned off when they see thrones on a church stage. Like, I'm gonna do. I'm gonna tell you this right now. I, would, I don't care who you are and what denomination you're in and how long that freaking throne has been there. You, you throw it away directly. Yeah, you do not need a throne <laughs> on a stage for any reason. Uh. I, I have seen those a lot. Yes, get rid of them. In little country churches, and, and, and they mean well. It's supposed to be an honor and distinction. It's like for like maybe the elder serving communion or something, but it's like, eh, yeah, that was, that was a turnoff for me, and I'm yeah. beyond age of the millennial. Yeah. Right? And I was going to say post-millennial. It was pre-millennial, really. Uh, All millennial. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I don't even know why that's funny. That's why that's funny, because I don't even know why it's funny. <laughs> I mean, it fits Dan, actually. I just bad. know you guys say stuff like that, and I thought, ah, oh, this will be funny. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, like, I totally get this, because, like, it does, like, you have a mistrust. And so I would think this is true for millennials in general, actually. We have a mistrust of power in general, which I think is, yeah. is good. There's something real healthy about that. Um, so there's a mistrust of power, and there's a mistrust of people who are intent- who appear to be taking intentional steps to make sure their power is known. Uh-huh. Before they have the ability to influence you, like if you show, if I show up to a room and there's a guy who's got a bigger, bigger chair that he's sitting in, and I got to sit in a tiny chair, I'm out on that. I feel like I'm being manipulated. It, that's actually the core of um, my generational stuff. Is that like we're, we've become? I think I've explained this before on the show, but I'm going to reiterate here because I think it's important. Um, it's a generation of people who are wary of being advertised to. Like yeah. it, there, there, there were generations b- before us where like. Advertising was um, – it wasn't everywhere. Like, like you knew you were going to see it on TV. You knew you'd see it in the newspaper, and, like, you knew you'd see it in a billboard, right? But, like, everything I want to look at or engage with on my phone or even – like, something – it's got advertisements on it. Like, oh, the ball club's got 50 advertisers on the back if I want to go see a young kid play softball. And so, like um, – but it was it was like the the height of like late eighties early nineties is when all the research like starts flowing out on hey man you want to make your sign uh, color sign red it'll stick with them and like all these like the psychology of advertisement um, although it was known started being taught to kids like we knew it when we were growing up and so like we were, we became wary that we were being advertised to because we became wary of being manipulated mm-hmm. and so like this is why I walk into a church and I see a fog machine I'm like. Oh, I, like we're behind the curtains, people. Like we're used to behind the scenes stuff that never would have the, the Lucy and Desi show. You like you caught it live. You only saw whatever happened. But our generation read the biography and got to see the behind the scenes special. And so, like we, we're we're very perceptive and at least or at least aware of w- people putting things on and what they're trying to accomplish, which ruins things. To be honest with you. Um, like, because the first they're going to go is like, hey, there's fog machine. I wonder why they're doing fog. They're trying to give me a vibe of this thing. And now I know, now, now we understand people's motivations mm-hmm. on how they're trying to manipulate me. And so, like, 
now you go into a church and like the church is just trying to provide a nice atmosphere for people. They want them to be uh, comfortable. They want them to hear g- good quality music. And like there's a snarky millennial getting the back going, "Hey man, this isn't this isn't granola." What are they doing here? They're trying to they're trying to manipulate me. I don't think that's getting any better, actually, even with Generation Z coming up. Agreed. Like, like uh, which makes me wonder actually how Hillsong has done as well as it has, right? Like they're like if if there was a style of Christian music that is most likely manipulative, it's fog machine and like synthesizer with long pauses and consistently repeated phrases over and over they've, and over again. They've solved that with the pastors. So, like, look at a guy like Carl Lentz, uh, may, his, uh, may his pastorship rest in peace. Um, <laughs> like, it, he was real, right? So even if the thing surrounded, like, it felt like he, he didn't show up in a suit. The guy was wearing a leather jacket or had, like, this is where you get the sweet sneakers of the guy. Like, if, if, if you feel like the church is being led by someone who is not manipulating you, you trust the th- stuff that then flows out of it. Right, so then, then the music just seems. Oh, hey, man, we put on good music because why wouldn't you put on good music? Right, like, yeah, we we put we we run the fog because like it helps you get into a mood of of getting shaking off earthly things that are bogging you down from interrupting with the spirit. Like, okay, like it, it sounds right when it feels like you're talking to someone who runs the ship who feels like they're they're down to earth. And so I think that's that's the mix of of where you're actually still being manipulated. You just trust the manipulator. Which is odd. It's an odd space to be in. But like, I, I just so the point being of all that is that like, when you walk in and you see a throne, you're like, who does this guy think he is? He he knows he's sitting on a throne. What is he claiming? What what type of force or manipulation is he trying to put over me? He's just a man, just like I'm a man. And so, unless he feels like he hears from God better than anybody else does, I don't trust him already. Mm. Like we're just very we don't like power structures, and we're aware of where it feels like we're being. Manipulated. Now, they're not, they're, don't get me wrong, Manila's not perfect at this. We're constantly manipulated and on board with it. Like, um, but again, it's, it's trusted people. A celebrity can lead, totally lead someone astray, mm-hmm. but because you trust the person. And so when you think the person is either like you or would like you, um, or you feel like, especially when it comes to like um, um, being able to do things like Twitter and TikTok, it's like you're not getting a polished image of them anymore. You get them in their house. You get them in their bathroom. You get them eating a chicken. And so, like, you feel like you're now interacting and you trust them more, and so it doesn't feel like you're being manipulated. It is funny, though. Like, today they are even call themselves influencers. No, that's true. Yeah, yeah. They just it's come like, right out with it. That's like, yeah. It's like, I'm just here to make you buy these Cheerios. That's right. I'm going exactly. to full-time influence you. That's right. So, like, I, like I, <laughs> I although, ridiculous. although we're wary of it, like, I would say, I mean, of course, this is a huge bucket of variant people, but, like, um, that's why I'm saying we're not we're not immune to being influenced. It's just you you got to do it differently. It can't come off as too polished. It right. can't come off as like I mean you could come out right and say I'm here to influence you. We're like let me hear what you got to say. Yeah, I might be on board with that. Are you good at it? Because maybe I should be influenced. I need some of those shoes. Yep. And this was one of those things where like um, remember when we were talking about some of the COVID restrictions and churches having to. to go online is that like you got to be careful especially with our, our generation and probably um younger than that is like don't bat above your grade if you can't do it well don't try don't try to don't try to make it look like you're better than you are they won't appreciate it the effort you put in like the, the what felt like the 50s 60s type of effort where like hey man you put on the suit even when you're poor and you you act a certain way when everyone else is around even if it's not true like the facade part felt like effort felt like hey we're trying our best you should, and that we should be honored for that. Millennials don't like that stuff. 
They're put off by it. And so, like, you might as well just embrace humbly, do the best you can, but, like, bat within your league. Mm. Okay. Um, religious behavior. Sometimes in church, the people have so many protocols, traditions, and rituals, it scares new people into thinking they have to become religious robots to believe. We need to show the world the difference between being religious, which does not save or sanctify a person, and having a relationship with the Lord Jesus. Now, I do think he's getting lazy here, because I don't like, I don't like the phrase, um, it's, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. Because, like, think of, think of James talking about, he's fighting for a right religion. Like, here's what religion looks like. Here's where it's doing well. It's serving the poor, as a matter of fact, is, is, was James's perspective. And so, like, James didn't look at religion as a bad, as a naughty word. And so, I, like, I do want to be careful that you, again, don't disassociate um, good rhythms in churches um, as if they, an outsider shouldn't be exposed to them. Because, like, I mean, let's say, hey, because uh, let, me, let me just, we'll just get this out of the way. Uh, prayer freaks everybody out. Prayer is a weird thing to do if you don't believe it. If you don't understand what you're doing and you walk into a room of people like of all shapes and sizes and monetary uh, uh, like income and all kinds of stuff and like all of a sudden they all in unison start talking to an invisible presence and, and everyone kind of agrees to it and you're just sitting there kind of looking around. That's weird. And so what are you going to do? Not pray during the service because it might freak somebody out because that's the weirdest thing that you do. And the answer is no, you don't do that because like you're introducing them to something. You're showing them what it looks like to do something that they don't have a familiarity with. It won't take very long for them to get it. But like um, the, the opposite thing, I guess, is that when I look at something like that, is if you're not going to pray then or you're not going to do certain, certain things, um, when are you going to spring it on them, friend? Like when's the right time to be like, oh, well, now, just yeah. so you know, we do this in the By back the way, room. we do this weird thing just yeah. for heads up. Now, all that to be said, stop doing weird crap. Like, like that's not biblically prescribed. So, so some of your stuff is weird. Like, uh, like I've, you've been to some of the, some of the, uh, I'm not, it's not old church. That's not high church. Um, and there feels like there's some guy warbling somewhere. And he's like waving stuff around and lighting candles and things like that. Nobody understands. And so like, you should stop doing that unless again, you're going to educate people about it. Oh, where I went to the Christmas mass one time and some dude with a legit short, a sword on his belt, pushed a cart around with the, with the. Uh, communion like, on it, yeah, yeah. And he yeah. was like the the guard of the supper. I don't can't remember what his title was, but I thought, and he clanked around like to, it was totally above board. And I'm like, what? Why is that gonna have a sword? Why is it? I mean, is oh. there real danger in this? And people come after it? <laughs> trying to take a you thief of it or something? <laughs> and then, you know, here's the thing: there might in some of that stuff, there might be some very theologically rich things going on. Yeah. Uh, but you got you. But uh, I would say if you're not prepared to explain it every week, you don't have the time to give it to it. Don't do it every week. Unless you can help people contextualize it, because like you might create deeper connections to people who already know Jesus. But again, if you're if you if you're using your Sunday morning as a or Saturday night or whatever it is as a means to connect people to with good news that they otherwise have not heard, that sword is going to put them off. They should put a sign like they do at the zoo, right? And it says like Night of the Sacrament. The Night of the Sacrament is hmm. uh, well, blah blah blah, and he oh, wears a yeah, sword yeah. for blah blah blah. Right? At least I could stop by my way in and go, oh, no kidding. Well, that makes way more sense. <laughs> we went to a, a Catholic funeral uh, a few weeks ago in Kentucky. 
And, you know, there's all this stuff I don't know what it, what it means. Yeah. But they gave programs for the funeral that explained, like, all of it. It was so cool. Like, oh, it went nice. right around through the service. Here's why they're lighting the candles. Here's what it represents, yada, yada. And it was really, it was deep and rich. Yeah. But they only got about three quarters of the way. Then they started doing other stuff. And, I, and then I got lost. I'm like, I, I don't <laughs> know what we're doing now. Yeah, right. You had me. Yeah, yeah I was I'm like, this, I was impressed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then I'm like, wait, now, they're, now people are standing and sitting and, and it didn't say to stand there. And, and yeah. So they yeah. were close. They were close. I but thought that helpful. kneeling post at the Catholics was like, I, like, so you could put your feet up, and so like everyone else is kneeling on the thing, and I like, I got my feet all up on it, and Get then like, shoes I, off. as soon as I figured out what it was, I'm like, ah oh, man, <laughs> and you know, I guess that brings up a good point that I think is true for for most of the millennial generation too, is that like they do have a value in richness in something that feels authentic, authentic and rich, and like it doesn't matter that it's old. Remember, we talked about there's a trend with people moving into high church denominations. Like there, there are parts of kind of like the older school Lutheranism and, and even Catholicism is growing because people look and they go, "Hey, look, I'm being advertised to in all this stuff," and like they're trying to make something sound hip. I care whether it's real, and you know, as 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 difficult as it is to wade through some of that stuff, um, the Catholics are committed to it. It feels real to them, mm-hmm. e- even if it's rote. Even if it's, like, the same thing happening all the time. And, like, once they get connected to rich traditions, like, they feel like there's a connection to them and what people have fought and died for and suffered through for years and years and years. And so, like, it just – you just got to be careful that you don't you don't shallow things to – people can deal with deep things, but they, they do want to know what actually means something. Do we do this for a reason? Mm-hmm. And as long as you're doing that, then I actually wouldn't be too put off by some of your, um, by some of your uh, events and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, nine – Territorial emphasis over kingdom focus. Many are turned off to the gospel when they see leadership merely focused on their agenda while neglecting the good of, for their community. God called us to serve our communities, not just build larger church buildings. Well, okay, I think you got to be more specific there because your agenda should be serving, like p- bringing good to the community, um, regardless of what, however that is defined. Um, building larger church buildings like can be a service to the community. It can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you gotta be prayerful about this kind of stuff, giant, uh, complex people. But like, it can be. And so again, like I, I think the problem is the shallowness. If you're saying, "Hey, we're building the big building, uh, we need to raise two hundred million dollars," uh, and people don't have a context of why you're doing this, if it's, "Hey, we're growing, God's sending more people, we want to be able to minister to these folks and open it up for this thing going on these days," and blah blah blah. Like again, just help people understand it. If it's righteous. They won't mind if it's not righteous. They won't give. I think if you, I think if you turn the focus around a little bit and not put so much of the onus on church-driven events of this nature, I, th- I think actually you're probably hitting the closer to the nail on the head, right? Like, like we'd be to our community. Uh, how are you guys doing that? <laughs> right? Not the church will sponsor one. Show up to it, right? Like, how? Like we need people out living like legit disciples. It's the same thing we were talking about, like three rings up, where like. Uh, where people are turned off when they see hypocritical behavior, they're also interested when they see actual Christians living out the thing that God has asked us to do, right? And so, like, when you only show up underneath a church campaign, uh, it looks like you're being herded by an organization. Like, as a millennial, that's how I see it, right? Like, you wouldn't go do this on your own. You're only going to do it because your church said you had to go do it, and so that's why you showed up. But, like, if you show up in you know, randomly feeding homeless people, and I happen to be there and talk to you and find out, oh, yeah, you go to that church down the road, no kidding. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
And and that's all you had to say about it? That's just God's people doing God's things. Yeah. Right? Like, I can dig on that, and then I can I can look at all. That's authentic to me, right? Like, that's not hypocritical. Not to say that you as a church, you can't go out and do stuff. I think you should, right? Like, so people know that you're available, and like, if you're looking for, uh, for a relationship with Jesus Christ, this is where you can, this is the best place to start, you know? But at the end of the day, if your people aren't doing the, the hands and feet of God without your church banner in front of them, uh, I'd say you're dragging them around more than they're, you know, they're, they're following on their own. Number 10 was programs over people. Many people are turned off to the gospel when they see the church focus more on events and programs than on connecting to and loving people. I, now, here's the only thing in defense of this. I would say I think most of the church programs are intended to do that. Yeah, I, but I think, yeah. but again, I, I think you, I think that's a fresh thing to look at at least once a year, if not more than once, mm-hmm. is to look at the suite of things that you're offering and going. Here's what we intended for this to do. Is it doing it? And if it's not doing it, you should stop doing it. Or if you look out and say, look, here's some of our like, how many of the things are primarily focused on people who already go to church here, and how many things are primarily focused on people who are trying to spread good news to, and make sure that balance is good. But, like, I mean, most people are not putting in programs um, just for the sake of self-fulfillment. Like, they, they believe it's doing something positive for the church or for the community around them. Number 11, triumphalism. I hate that, too. Many young people are turned off to triumphalist prayers and pronouncements about taking cities and nations back for God. They feel called to serve their community, not to take it over by force. We in the church have to be careful with the kind of language we use to communicate our vision. So the question is, in, in, the, New Te- in the New Testament specifically, um, do we see a triumphant posturing when it comes to the spreading of the good news? No, and actually, I, I, do they use the word revival much? <laughs> right, because it was new to them. It was like, yeah, they did it, but they didn't define it that Right, way. it was new going out to the Gentiles. Yeah. It was introduce, not reintroduce or revitalize. They turned right? the city upside down and, and they say, did. we're going to take the city. You know, it's like, well, they yeah. just did it, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess that's the thing. Is like pe- things that feel like, well, I, things that feel like conquest um, that are uh, said by people feel wrong yeah. relative to how you're trying to portray who Jesus is. Jesus, If Jesus fights and wins by dying, um, what we mean is a, f- a way to motivate people to share good news and so and seeing tangible success in that. What it hears or what it feels like external to people um, who have good hearts about the thing um, is it feels like you're just grabbing land. I feel like there, there's a distinct difference between the prayer that says uh, or that that like an announcement that says we're going to tear this we're going to tear this town up for uh, you know for Jesus or you say I've been praying that Jesus tears this town up. Those are two very distinct things to me, yeah. right? Like, I do pray that Jesus does that. I don't know whether he's going to use us to do it or not. We're willing, though, <laughs> right? Like, that, it seems to put it in just a little bit of a different order that says, we're going to defeat this, this town and whatever it has going, and That's instead right. we're saying, uh, we're inviting Jesus to have his way within, with, with everything in this town, and we would love to be a part of it. That's right. So I, th- I think the main barrier is when you use language like that, it, it sounds like you're fighting against people. When your goal is to fight for them, yeah, and it doesn't, and like, and actually, this is a helpful critique because where your heart's in the right place and your language is not serving you, you wouldn't, you want, you want to know that. And yeah, that's so true. If it's communicating the opposite of what you intend, then yeah, then I would, uh, I'd, I'd change the language so that it, so that it actually communicates what your heart is, because people's heart isn't to fight against people. It's what they mean is, is I want to spread such good news and have the city turned upside down and have it reflect and mirror um, Jesus. 
in our community. That's what they intend. But when it sounds like a conquest or fighting against, your your just message isn't helping what you actually want to do. And, and once again, I think you're missing a, just a little bit of a biblical principle here, and it's a small one. But like, you can't do anything, <laughs> right? Jesus does these things, right? And so like, it's it's his power and his thing. Right? It just seems different when the God of the universe says. Yeah, I'm going to visit this town, right? Opposed to when you're going to visit the town, you know? Yeah. Right, there's a difference between standing up and saying, we're going to take out the Artemis idol dealers, as opposed to we're bringing Jesus to people, and, oh, they stopped buying idols. Yes. Yes. You know, I mean. Yes. <laughs> yeah, right. Right, yeah, because you're, you're, you're putting the ends before the means, yeah. right? Like, you're just like, God, you do what you want. We're here to serve. Uh, I'm praying that you revitalize this town and tear it up. Right, that's yeah. a cool prayer, and we get on board with that every day. But you say, "I'm going to go right after the the idol dealers." Lord, you got my back on this. You help me tear this place up. Nah, you're the kind of guy that sits on a throne, <laughs> right? That's not yeah. a good move. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, finally, number twelve uh, things that millennials are put off by from hearing the good news: um, no community and authenticity. What most people crave the most is community. Everyone needs to feel loved and to belong to an entity greater than themselves. Part of the church's call is to assimilate new believers into the visible body of Christ through relationships and discipleship. When people come into the church and only experience program-based Christianity, they will eventually leave and look for a real community. Yeah, I don't know how you program that into people. Sometimes we're really bad at this. Right? Like, people show up and they're like, they keep showing up. And like, we have to like sick our, our registered good people on them. Right? We're like, who are nice to everybody, love people, and we're like, well, you go, go talk to them. They've been here the last couple, three weeks, right? Like, you'd hope that one, one somebody in your church has already gotten there, right? Before you had to get the backup plan of, like, we keep these people, like, in the pocket in case the rest of our community fails us. Yeah. Uh, and then people start counting on that, right? Like, if, uh, if, if uh, April and Rick are the standards, and we're like, they'll eventually get to the new people. I don't need to go over there. We're not doing this well, you know? Right, right. Well, and I think this one falls into a similar bucket. It's like no one is um, – I feel odd being the guy that defends this, but like um, programs are not – like I, I, think it's, I think it's a false dichotomy that's being presented here. Like, hey, this is a program-based Christianity. Like the discipleship program is intended for good things. Uh, like the various – the women's ministries. Like all these things are set up uh, to do good things. Your problem is if you – every Every person who's interacting with or leading these types of things relies on them like they're an assembly line. To the extent that you engage with people and love them and create relationships with them and have um, also opportunities for like one-on-one discipleship, then these things are just enhancing that, and that's okay. I think the discipleship thing is rough to me. I think because again, people you just got to be careful. People don't rely on your program versus actually what it looks like to live in their context. But like, just just want to be careful that you don't take what is good intentioned. Um, and well used in certain circumstances, like if you lean on it too heavy, it will break, but it doesn't mean it's not valuable. It's a good leg and a three-legged stool, but you can't go around and just lean on it only. I think that's more the gap than anything else. There's no reason to chuck the whole notion of, hey, man, can I, can I run a class on spiritual gifts? Yeah, I'll go ahead. It's, even if it doesn't, even if maybe I don't particularly care for the methodology or the outcome, you had Christians meeting, praying, and thinking about a specific thing that they were then asking God about together. How can that be bad? It's not bad. And so just, but it's just not the only thing. It's not the only leg on the stool. Okay, would you guys add any to this list? I don't know, a couple of them were kind of uh, repeats, could be kind of taken in under a larger umbrella of like just being, uh, just being authentic and transparent, right? Like, 
here's the situation we're in, right? Like, here, I'm, I'm preaching, the, you know, this is what God called me to do, and I'm glad you're here, but this, I'll be doing this, <laughs> right? Like, it's just, it's just being honest with what's going on. I think, I, I think you're right about some of the generational stuff. I, uh, I do get taken off by what seemed like over, over programming or like trying to shove me in a bucket, you know, like, um, but then on the other hand, some of that stuff needs to be knocked out of your church goers too, you yeah. know, right? Like, like the whole place ain't tuned to you, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like we, obviously if we're going to have, you know, a, even 500 people here on a Sunday or something, we can't, you know, we can't have an individual class just the way you like it. That's the, the cultural thing that we're trying not to feed into is your individualistic right to have everything tuned specifically to your liking, right? Like we're going to have meetings, but they're going to be at a time that you don't like. Yeah. You know, you might have to make sacrifice to be there. You know, not, hey, I can only make it at 7.45, and that's only if my babysitter shows up, blah, blah, blah. Look, man, we started at 7.30. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what to tell you, <laughs> you know? So I, I don't know. Like, some of that you want to push back on and go, look, we're already feeding into a tune-everything-to-me individual society. Uh, but then on the other hand, do I think uh, one-on-one discipleship between, like, a couple and, or family-to-family um, is better than programs? Yeah, I, I actually do think that. Yeah, I do. Yeah. So, 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 I mean, we, we pray and we, and we ask God to send leaders, right? You know, we say, hey, we need people to step up to do this. And like, to the extent that we, uh, a program seems uh, righteous and good, then let's do a program. To the extent that we need to do this on a family-to-family basis, let's pray for that too and, and, and pray God puts two people together. A lot of this stuff is like uh, run through the Holy Spirit kind of stuff, and it's okay for it to be gray and different every time based on whatever God has you doing, you know? Yeah, I think it's a mistake, for example, to assume or to make it sound like the early church was opposed to organizing, right? They were mm-hmm. like, and they were, here's the thing. They were both. They house churched a good chunks of them. They also organized as communities to do, to do certain things. So like, just, just be careful. We don't overring the cloth here on, um, on a bias of, is it okay to organize to accomplish a specific purpose? Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Where did Paul go, right? Paul goes to where he knows people are already organized. <laughs> yeah. You know, and so he shows up at Temple. It's not like he, like, well, it's not righteous if I don't pick him off the street as I yell from a box, right? That's not how that works. And so, like, yeah, organization isn't inherently bad. It's okay to put some thoughts with the brain God gave you. Uh, I think it's the same, uh, it's not even a critique, really. It's just a, a something to keep in mind. But, like, just don't, don't take the Holy Spirit out of it, right? Like, don't take God out of the picture, right? Your church has to run on God's good blessing and his good word and like pray continually that the Holy Spirit will show up and do amazing things and you get to watch and like apart from a direct word from God, here's what I'm going to do, Lord. Is this cool? Yeah, and, so I think that's actually the key thing is that like the, 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 the thing that separates millennials from I think some of these things is if it feels like it's not creating a genuine, persistent, constant faith. If it feels like, um, like steps in the game of life. Oh, I take the class. Okay, great. Oh, like I made, I, I made it to apostle level. I got the green belt in Christianity, like whatever it is. If it felt like there's success markers, the gamification of your faith is not what, if you want something rich and deep, you don't want to be gamified. You don't want to be felt like you're being, oh, I, I, I've, I've uh, or even encouraged that you've acceded to some certain level based upon the types of things that you're doing. And so like, um, as long as these things are used contextually as part of a rich introduction, um, to Yahweh and Bible and discipleship so that like your whole life changes, not your, uh, I'm, I'm going up the corporate Christian ladder 
and being a better Christian than I was yesterday. Like that's that's what they're pushing back against. And so like, hey, here's the thing: I've gone through I've gone through classes, I've gone through programs, and I didn't feel poorly about any of them because like it was an addendum, it was it was a, co- a contextual thing or like something that added to stuff I was already doing. It's just when you lean on it. That's all. Don't lean on it. Don't make this like, hey, we got we got really great programs. Well, if your people aren't getting into accountability groups and, and discipleship and making true relationships, they're just cogs that move into to pamphlets and programs, you have yourself a problem. Even if you're teaching all those things excellently, that's all. That, I think that's, that's where you just got to be careful. I don't think, again, I don't, just don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. All right, you've been listening to Life in the Path. Hey, maybe you thought of one. Maybe you say, hey, I'm a millennial or I'm not a millennial. And like, you know, here's, here's the things that weren't on the list that um, I think are, are good news blockers in the world, um, either for you or for uh, our church's ability to, uh, to reach out to others. And so let me, uh, l- let us know. Call the uh, Bob Eisenhower Life in the Path complaint line, 515-517-0085. That's call or text that line, uh, 515-517-0085. Eight five. We'd uh, we'd love to hear from you on that and uh, any other thoughts you had on the show, Mike. We've we've run longer than I expected. Let's do one advice and call this thing a night, dear. Live from the path. I am a man in my late forties who has been looking for love all my life. One factor that has made it difficult is my height. I'm four eleven tall. What makes finding? <laughs> I don't know why I wrote it like that. What what makes finding someone nearly impossible? is that the online dating site profiles always ask for my height. Unfortunately, being extremely short in stature isn't a characteristic women are looking for. So even though I can spend upward of an hour filling out all the profile information, the system invariably returns a no match for me. Do you think I should lie about my height? And when I meet the person, hopefully she can give me a chance? Or am I destined to spend my life alone? Now, these aren't the only two options, friend. Yeah. Now... I sympathize with this man because he's up against an algorithm. He's 4'11 tall, man. Right, like, there's, because uh, here's the deal, you know that uh, ladies are going through and they're putting their preferences or whatever, and no one, no one can cross that, that under that five barrier. Yeah. give me a short step. You say, look, I'll take five and above. And so he's one inch shy of the algorithm picking him out and saying, look, you didn't make the grade. Uh, and so that's really, that's really You think really you should fudge it to 5'1 or whatever? Ain't nobody on a, on a quick eyesight going to go, you ain't no 5'1. You you're four eleven for sure. I don't. I don't mind. A, I don't mind fudging it to five. I that doesn't solve any of his real problems. To be honest with you, yeah. I'm just saying in practicality. I it's that. That's what the, the, I think. It's people don't realize uh, as you use uh, computer programs, like they're dumb. They're dumb things. They're just you've presented a filter, and uh, it's like buying. It's ninety nine cents or a buck. Four eleven to five foot. Ah, man, that online dating's a meat market. I don't know if you want in there anyway, friend. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Meet meet someone live. I mean, yeah, that live still happens. People. Yeah, there's got to be another way where you don't have to be dishonest. I mean, I bet you like to say it's not a big dishonesty, but it's still dishonest. I mean, just forget the stupid computer game and uh, go places where there's socially people mingling. Let them fall in love with your personality and who you are. I wonder if he's tried that. This is how he ended up online dating. And yeah, people I, mean, see I, his, I mean, now his shortness is going to be evident. I mean, he, okay, here's the deal. And, of course, there ain't no ladies in this room to ask. But, I mean, is this a real deal breaker? Because, like, if, if push comes to shove, you say, look, Mike, uh, would you ever consider ever dating a short woman? No. How about a real tall Amazon woman? No. I got no problems either way. Right? Is it th- that big of a deal breaker for ladies that he's, he's shorter than they are? 
I mean, I know like what probably the romantic comedy thing is. This dude's got to be some kind of tall fella, but like, I mean, honestly, I, I've seen some pretty rough and tumble dudes find ladies to date, right? And so I can't imagine that the bar is completely out of the realm for this man to meet a, a woman that can dig on his personality, generosity, and overall comedy. Go to the racetrack. The racetrack. Is that because the jockeys are there? Yeah. I assume people who like jockeys will be there. So you're so so it's not technically lying, but you're trying to pass yourself off as if you're a jockey. No, no. Or jockey type people. But if they're willing to date a jockey who are generally shorter fellas, how many women are going, hey man, come to the track with me, I'm gonna try to pick up one of them jockeys. Is that not happening? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know the world. Hey, oh, before we let it go, if it, I, I'm just now, I'm interested on the complaint line. Ladies, uh, is is under five? Is that too low? Is this way out of bounds? Yeah. Or is that like, uh, is it just is it does it feel super arbitrary? Or like, uh, what do you think? Judging from the amount of people I've met in this world, I can't imagine that there is any arbitrary line of physical any characteristics that uh, won't allow someone to date you. You think everything can be overcome? Yes, I think everything yeah, I can be overcome. That. Yeah, okay. I, there has to be a couple of other things going on here, friend. How old is he? 40-something? In his 40s, yeah. Late 40s. Well, maybe it feels like the online dating is the, yeah. the only racket. Maybe he's tried living in the real world and he's not having it. It's still not a good reason to jump off the pool, though. So, right? It's mean, like saying these vitamins aren't working. I'm moving over to heroin. Right? There's just no reason to give up on the vitamins. Stick with them. So now I'm curious. I guess I would, maybe if I were him, I'd put five in, five foot and see what happened. Ben goes with the straight lies. I'm not, well, no, I didn't say you have to lie to the ladies, I guess. That's uh, what, you're lying on the application. I'm willing to amend. So, but like, it's just it's a filter. So if you go up and update your, if you update your height to five foot even, do you go from zero matches to 20? It'll give you an understanding as to whether height is really the problem. Okay, so you're willing to do an experiment. So yeah. you tick up the height to two inches, an inch, whatever. Get, a, get yourself above the algorithm, fire it out there, and see yeah. if it does any good. I it, did, now, that's just more because I'm interested in anything else. Yeah. Maybe the real problem is that you like anchovies. People and hate going, anchovies. No, for sure. Interested. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I feel like Tan's on the, onto the, the knock of this thing. Yeah. 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 It's the, uh, the misunderstood anchovy. I, I, it's a good point, though, is that, like, you assume it's short, because maybe you're self-conscious about being short anyway, but, like... Maybe you also love cats and no one else loves cats. Or the combination of your shortness These and These are highly catness. unlikely. Right? Ain't no one want... Uh, he's got to be you think it's You out. think it's height, definitely. No, I don't think it has anything to do with the height. I think he's, he's, he's not interesting to be around. Or maybe he's... Maybe he's uh, actually, uh, and this would impact your uh, live uh, reactions to folk, is that where uh, people, women don't tend to find a lack of confidence uh, appealing. Yeah, that's true. They find they, like, confident, confident men, regardless of what they're swagging around with, uh, tend to be wrong. Short. Yeah, that's true. Uh, the chip on your shoulder is probably not helping. Yeah, you probably won't like me. So, so what's the what's the roll up of the advice? <laughs> I mean, how do you tell someone like have more confidence? You know that doesn't work. Maybe he needs a life coach. Maybe he needs us to life coach him. Yeah, I think we could do it. Yeah, Dan will dress him. I'll show him how to grow a beard. I'll take him to the racetrack. Yeah. All right. <laughs> we're, good. we're good. We solved this particular Well, I problem. never feel like we've been so stone cold not able to offer anything helpful to this man. Well, I mean, so I, I think Dan's, Dan's advice is salient. So um, 
a uh, maybe if you're being filtered out by online dating, and here's the thing: if that's the thing, if it's an inch, let's say it's an inch, just do the experiment. Let's say it's just an inch that matters. Yeah. Um, is that like I think that should otherwise validate that this is not the platform for you to find people. Yeah. It's arbitrary, and so like uh, maybe you're gonna have to get out more. Find go to places where uh, things that you that you would do that you're interested in. Maybe it's more than you would than normal, but like um, that's where you're gonna find people that you have connections with. Actually, what did I see? Uh, the, 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 there's a recommendation that, like, so you go on this thing, um, you create a fake profile as if you're a lady looking for, uh, uh, oh, wait, this is not going to work. No, this isn't going to work. It was a way, I saw someone suggest that this is a way to make friends. Is so, like, let's say uh, you want to you meet young uh, ladies in your town, and you're a young woman, too, and you don't have any friends, you just moved. And so you create... A fake profile for a dude that you would find appealing. Uh, have all these matches with these young ladies that are on there. Schedule a time when they're supposed to, like, that they all show up at the same place, but they don't know that. They all think they're meeting this guy. You show up, too. The guy doesn't show, and you're just like, oh, this guy's a real jerk. It's too bad we ended up here. Anyway, you want to hang out for a drink? Wow, that's an over-the-top ruse. And make fr- wow. and Because you know that, like, the assumption is, is that your, uh, your qualities will match. Because you were all looking and, and wanted to date this same guy, and so, like... Maybe you'll get along as friends. <laughs> I mean, it's not the worst. I mean, sometimes you got to think outside the box, you know, and that's not so bad. That just seems like a lot of work. It is a lot of work, though. I mean, if you need friends. Okay, uh, what's, what's the advice? Segular's advice is, uh, lying would be neither helpful nor appropriate. Okay. Because the person you met would then be inclined to wonder what else you were lying about. On an inch, though? You think an inch is it like will do it? They're you not going to tell right off the crack whether you are one, in, one or two inches short. Someone tells me they're 6'2", I just believe them. Yeah, everything's an approximation. It's going to come up later. I mean, it may be it may be harmful. I, I agree. I agree. You don't want to start off with a deceit, but like, I mean, on a good day, can you be fine? Oh, tell them you measure in the kings. They won't know what that means. Say I use the king's measurements. I do cubits. <laughs> <laughs> I'm five. I'm five one in the king's measurements. <laughs> uh, my dear late mother once told me, "Quote: Smart women measure their men from the eyebrows up, not the hairline down." And it's true. Does that mean they only care whether the man has a head of hair or not? Because I feel like I got weeded out. Smart women measure their men from the eyebrows up, not the hairline down. Wow. Is it, is it supposed to mean like a brain? Like as so. of his brain? Or his face? I don't, I don't like that advice. Some of the most brilliant, charming men I know are short, and it doesn't make them less attractive. I can't believe we're allowed to call people short. I feel like that's culturally offensive. <laughs> yeah, I do wonder, though. I mean, are they that short? Because, I mean, that's short. That's yeah. a short fella. You may have better luck if you are introduced to women by people who know you. Relatives, friends, friends of friends, etc., you can also do a search online to see which sites have better results for shorter people. Some dating sites and apps even cater to short people. Huh. Shortpeopledating.com. Don't get short with me.com. <laughs> What's the matter with you? <laughs> I'd have made that. It doesn't matter what they would have said. I'd have come up with something pithy. I think it's really great that my filter is working right now and yours isn't. Yeah, dang. <laughs> I just yeah. want to note that. I mean, the most entertaining days when neither of you are. Showing any filtering control. Uh, hey, thanks for listening to Life on the Path. Uh, hey, I don't. Maybe, maybe this is unfair advice. I don't. I don't know. Maybe are you a short? Maybe you're a short feller, and you've gone through something like this. Uh, where this felt like, I guess, the question one has it been a barrier for you? It probably certainly is. Uh, and <laughs> it probably certainly is. That's terrible. I didn't even say anything. Not good. That's not good. You just having words flow out of your face. I don't know how you know how you landed a woman. Uh, 
And, like, how did you overcome? Uh, was it something that felt like it had to be overcome in your relationship? I was just kind of interested, I guess. Because um, maybe, maybe we've not been sensitive in this topic and should be more so. Or uh, maybe we should be firmer with this man that he just needs to get on, get on a horse and, <laughs> I mean, go out and do the things and pick up the right ladies. Yeah. Okay. I'm sticking with my original advice. I think you should get off the online dating, meet people in person, and, like, get outside your comfort zone. Right? Like, go to a... Go to a I don't know, a church that you haven't been to or a dance club you haven't been to or visit three grocery stores on the prowl. I don't know. You're going to have to put some effort into this thing, right? Like, uh, I, you're going to have to do better than you're doing. The, the thought of an online dating site, of you sitting back in your Grundy's waiting luxuriously at your house for someone to pick you, I mean, this is the best we have to go into the dating world anymore? Yeah. Hey, man, I'm going to hang out at my place? Although, Mike, think about it this way. So, like, let's say if you if you weren't married... And you were looking to, to find find love in the modern times. Like, would you be running into ladies? I think I would just do what I would regularly do, and hopefully something came up. So, like, you got you, you hope she's a gas station woman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think you want to move to Hollywood because uh, I've noticed through the years that like all these TV stars are like super short. That's so, true. Yeah, you'll see like this giant guy, and I'll think, man, this guy's a monster, and he's like two inches shorter than me. I think Tom Cruise is like five four or something. Like he's just not yeah, very tall. They're all very see? short. Yeah, uh, I'm like, so they'll just think you're a movie star. See, that's it, friend. You're four inches away from a cruise. Yeah, you're yeah. not that far out. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, us six foot regulars got nothing, but you. That's right. We're run of the mill. We're yeah, we're, the giants in yeah, Hollywood. They stamp us out at a mill. Like we're nothing special. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for listening to Life in the Path. Uh, we do appreciate it. We do hope you're enjoying the show. If you are, if you wouldn't mind leaving us a rating on iTunes, Podcast Addict, or uh, whatever, uh, wherever you're taking the podcast in, we'd love to, or Amazon, we'd love to be able to uh, I just see that feedback. It's helpful. Also, if you've got anything good to say, positive or negative, we'd love to hear it. Call the uh, Bob Eisenhower complaint line, 515-517-0085. That's call or text, 515-517-0085. I said we're always super encouraged e- even if it's a critique of the show um just to know that folks are listening and that you took the time uh, that's a real blessing to us so we very much appreciate that um we do plan to be here next week so in the meantime be faithful in the means god will handle the ends you've been listening to live from the path <laughs>